welcome to the Culture Watch Podcast. My name is Andrew Gomison, and each and every Monday, I have the privilege of coming to you with a biblical perspective on news and current events. And the reason that I do this podcast, if you've been listening for any length of time, you know is because although we are not called to be of the world, we are called to be salt and light in the world. And one of the ways that we do that is being able to engage in conversations about the things going on around us in our country and across the world. I think one of the things that we are sorely lacking in our country today is productive conversations where we share opinions and facts in a way to build one another up, not simply to win our argument or to win people to our side, but really to think about things from the perspective of the unchanging Word of God. And so I am super excited uh, that you have decided to join us today. And I would just encourage you that if you are uplifted by what you hear, that you would share this with your family and friends. That's how more people know about what we do here at Speaking for Him, both with the Culture Watch podcast and with the Speaking for Him podcast, which comes out each and every Wednesday. With that being said, let's jump into news for the week of February 12th. Well, today we begin on an issue that we've tackled a few times on the show, the issue of illegal immigration. And we start out with a story out of New York about some illegal immigrants who beat up some police officers. Meanwhile, we got a big update on the migrants who have been accused of attacking New York City police officers last week over by Times Square. Remember this? Well, iSources tell Fox News that several of those people in these images have been apprehended, apparently in Phoenix. Unbelievable. Plus, another group of migrants have been arrested for allegedly dragging a woman down a New York City street as they stole her purse. Madeline Rivera joins us right now with the latest developments. Uh, update us, won't you? Hey, good morning, Brian, Steve, Lawrence, and Ainsley. So I, a lot of things going on, but I do want to begin with the suspects who are arrested in Phoenix. There are still some details we're waiting for, like the identities of the suspects and which migrants were arrested. But Immigration and Customs Enforcement sources tell Fox they're suspected of being involved in this beating of two NYPD officers in Times Square. Remember, six suspects were arrested and charged, but only one was held on cash bail. Police sources had told us some of the five who were released left New York to head to, to the California-Mexico border, rather. Now it appears, based on what multiple ICE sources are telling us, that at least some of their journeys were cut short, with some suspects being arrested at a Greyhound bus station in Phoenix Monday. Here's New York City Mayor Eric Adams. While these five individuals were are migrants, I want to reiterate uh, the overwhelming number of 170 plus thousand migrants and asylum seekers are uh, attempting to continue their next leg of their journey of pursuing the American dream. The NYPD separately also arresting seven migrants in an early morning raid in the Bronx Monday, whom officers say were behind a robbery ring in the city. Investigators say the suspects would ride up behind victims on stolen mopeds, mostly women walking alone, and snatch their phones and purses. The NYPD telling Fox New Yorkers and tourists must stay vigilant. A wave of migrant crime has washed over our city. They're essentially ghost criminals. 
no criminal history, no photos, no cell phone, no social media. Sometimes we're even unclear on a name or a date of birth. And on top of that, these operations are extremely sophisticated. They intentionally try to evade the police. Going back to the assault of the two NYPD officers, Manhattan District Attorney Alvin Bragg is expected to present evidence to a grand jury today. Steve Ryan, Lawrence, and Ainsley. Right. See what happened? Yeah, it's amazing. Uh, Thank thanks, Alan. Amazing how interested he is right now. Yeah. Uh, okay. Hey, let me play some evidence there because he got out. They got out with no bail. Uh, only one guy was detained. So this is the part about illegal immigration that people do not want to talk about, and that is that these immigrants come to our country, and they commit criminal acts, but they are ghost suspects because they're not in any database, we don't know anything about their origins, and we don't know their names, their dates of birth, anything that would normally be used to track a criminal, we don't know that about them because they are not subject to the laws of the land. And we've gone through so much in these last several years of people disrespecting police officers, defunding police, and now we have this situation where these criminals, because that's what they are, beat these police officers in Times Square uh, in a public place. They were initially arrested, and only one was charged, and the rest of them were let go, and then they proceeded to go down to, it appears, Phoenix, Arizona, and get into more trouble. And Phoenix, I believe, has taken them into custody, and we'll see what happens from that. But this just goes to show you that the reason that we have rules about people coming to America is because we have rules about being an American, and we have laws about what it means to be an American. And those laws help us to live decently and in order. I know I bring that verse up a lot on this podcast, but the reality is that the only way to live a successful life is to live decently and in order. And the only way to live decently and in order is to have a standard of living. And this is why immigration is so important. You know, if you look at the Old Testament, people always point out that the Jews were commanded to be kind to the foreigner and allow them to dwell in their land. But they were still allowed to have rules for these people deciding to join in the Jewish nation. There were still standards that they were held to, and there's nothing wrong with that. And so I think as we frame this discussion, we need to realize that these are the things that people don't realize when they contemplate this issue. It's sort of like the separating children from parents at the border situation. People want you to believe that it's only parents that desperately love their children and brought them over to this country for their good. And there are many of them. But there's also situations where people have kidnapped children and brought them across the border because they know they will be looked on in a kinder way if they are a parent with a child than if they are simply by themselves. 
And we really need to be a country that upholds the rule of law when it comes to dealing with this immigration issue. Yes, America is a great place. Yes, we should welcome anyone who wants to come here. But there is a legal process. I just saw a clip uh, this morning where Melania Trump was asked, do you think that uh, your husband has gone too far in immigration because you are an immigrant? And she simply said to the interviewer, well, I followed the law. There is a law in place. And for everyone who is here who has followed the law, I'm glad that you are here. I'm glad that you came to America because you thought that there would be great opportunities for you, and I trust that there will be, and I trust it will be a blessing to you to be in this country. It is a great country, and it is a great place to be, and I'm proud to be an American, and I want as many people as want to to experience the blessings of such. And, you know, there is a parallel here. The reality is that when we talk about the Christian faith, we are talking about an exclusionary faith. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So you can say all you want that you wish things would be more inclusive, but the reality is the only way to have eternal life is through Jesus. That's the way that was laid out before us. And so many people say, well, God is not a God of love if he sends people to hell. God doesn't send people to hell. Hell was made for the devil and his angels. God says, if you do not want me, if you do not want to submit to my will, if you do not want to live in a friendship relationship with me through the redemption of Christ, you can go to hell if you want to, but that's not my desire. The Bible says that he is not willing that any should perish, but that his desire is that all should come to repentance. And so I think that as we are Dealing with this issue of immigration, uh, we can definitely be kind about it. We should look for ways to welcome immigrants into our country. Uh, we should look for ways to make the immigration process easier, as I have said on multiple occasions. But we should not change the rules or dumb down the rules. Um, Jesus didn't dumb down the rules of Christianity. Uh, as I've often said, he didn't make the standards lower to get us into heaven. Rather, he lowered Jesus, the standard bearer, to our level so that he could bring us up to the acceptable standard, um, which is salvation by grace through faith in only the work of Jesus Christ. We continue on with more on the immigration issue. Uh, the mayor of Chicago was asked this week why he has not gone to the border. 
uh, when he said he was going to. And he had a really interesting response. So yesterday, the new mayor, uh, who's been in, in the office since uh, May of last year, remember, he replaced Lori Lightfoot as mayor of Chicago. Uh, he was supposed to go down to the border and see for his own for himself in October, but he canceled and he sent a deputy mayor. Well, he was asked yesterday by, by another reporter, hey, when are you going to go? And listen to what he <laughs> had to say to that reporter about why the mayor is not going. He's got a really good reason. Listen. Do you understand that you have not had a mayor like me? I get that. I have a wife. I have children. They have schedules. And plus, we still have public safety that we have to address. We still have the unhoused that we have to address. I still have a budget that I have to address. And I'm doing all of that with a black wife raising three black children on the west side of the city of Chicago. I am going to the border as soon as possible. But I got to coordinate that with running the government and making sure that my wife and children are secure as well. Thank you, Lord. So what about the single black mothers that live in Chicago <laughs> that you caused a crime to go up because you wanted to fund the police, that you support the broken education system because you support the teachers union and not the kids. He tried to use his race as a shield in that segment, but the problem still exists and they're affecting everyone. And they don't have, some of those kids don't have dads in their life um, to deal with those issues. Mom's holding down two jobs. Can't afford daycare. We all have kids. We all have busy schedules. But if you're going to run for mayor, you got to do the job. I mean, I'm sorry he's doing all that. We're all balancing a lot. I mean, right. we all get yeah, up at 3.30 like in the, the morning. Job, we quit. have kids. I'm a single mom. Yeah. Yeah. What does you race know, have to do with it? I don't Zero. know. Zero. It was to disarm the reporter. And as you can see, it worked because they bagged off. So this goes back to another issue that comes up a lot on this podcast, which is the issue of responsibility and example. We need leaders who will take responsibility for the jobs that they are called to do. And this mayor of Chicago, as with so many mayors of Chicago, is not one to do that. He said, I'm going to go to the border, I'm going to check out this situation, and he has not done so. He sent a deputy mayor, and when he's asked about going to the border, he said, I will, but right now I have my wife and my children to think about. Now, I am the last person to say that you should put something before your wife and your children. Family is a priority. However, this man was using them as an excuse to not do his job. That's the reality. And it's amazing to me how violent and unsafe and crazy Chicago is, even though they supposedly have so many laws in place to make it quote-unquote safer. There's more gun control laws in Chicago than almost anywhere else in the U.S., and yet they still have a very high murder rate there. They still have a very high homeless rate. They still have so many other problems that are not being fixed. And it's because... Politicians, and I believe this on both sides of the aisle, so please don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying this is a liberal-only or conservative-only problem. I think it's across the board that, in general, with some exceptions, politicians thrive on making sure that they continue to be elected. 
not on solving problems for their constituents. And so what they are more concerned about than anything is getting reelected instead of solving problems. And what I have seen over and over again is that politicians will make a problem worse and then they will solve like half the problem and they will act like they made a major stride to solve a problem. And I just think that that is very sad. And again, this is why elections are so important and why in 2024 we need high-quality individuals who have a high moral standard. And again, the highest moral standard comes from the Word of God and who want to serve the people. I don't think the Founding Fathers had any idea that politics or serving the country, as you may call it, would become a lifelong career for anyone. Most of the early Founding Fathers, they served in the House or the Senate and maybe later became president and then they went into civilian life. And now it's like a lot of these senators and representatives, they hang on forever. It was about a year ago or so that I was on the Millennial Podcast with Russ and his friends and uh, we were talking about a House of Representatives member that had been in office for 50 plus years. And yet a lot of people were complaining that the area in which he served was very poor and very uh, in need of help. And yet he wasn't helping. He was allowing it to stay in its state of disrepair and state of really despair for the people that he served because all that he cared about was being uh, back in office. And so we really need uh, people who will say, I'm going to this office to help people be better. That should be our motivation as believers, incidentally, as well, is to help the people around us become better people for having us as a part of their life. We are to lift each other up. We are to encourage one another and build each other up. So we need to keep that in mind, and we need to realize that leadership is such an important part of the Christian life. Keep in mind that looking again at the people of Israel, they had Moses as their leader to lead them out of Egypt. God would not let Moses get out of that responsibility, even though he tried. He said, go, and I will tell you what to say, and I will be with you, and you will do this for me, and I will do this through you. And then Joshua was Moses' replacement as the leader who brought them into the promised land because Moses sinned and went against God and hit the rock when he was supposed to speak to the rock. And so God said, you will see the promised land, but you won't go in because of your failure to lead in the right way. Then after Joshua died, the elders who started with Joshua were with him and were honoring God and the people were following those elders. But somewhere along the line, when those elders died, 
there arose a generation that knew not God, neither his works to his people. And one of the main reasons that I started speaking for him was to help people realize that we need to continue to pass on a multi-generational message of hope that is only found in Jesus Christ. And we cannot afford to drop the ball and have a generation that knows not God. We are seeing right now the consequences of having a generation of kids that were not taught responsibility who are now grown into adults who don't know responsibility. We need to make sure that we keep a godly perspective on these things. And I really think that term limits would be a good way to do that on the federal level. Now, I don't think that will happen because the people that have to decide to enact term limits are the very people that we want term limited and who are hanging on to their careers in politics as long as possible. So it won't happen anytime soon, but that doesn't mean that it would not be a good idea. The next story that I want to share with you is, it's no new revelation that many people do not believe that Joe Biden is competent to be president. But now a doctor has made a public statement about it, and this was Biden's response. Joe Biden last night lashing out at reporters after that damaging special counsel report, including our own, our very own, Peter Ducey, this exchange. In his description, you are a well-meaning elderly man with a poor memory. I'm well-meaning, and I'm an elderly man, and I know what the hell I'm doing. I've been president, I put this country back on its feet. Well, joining us to discuss is co-anchor of America's Newsroom and co-host of The Five, Dana Perino. Dana, when you were watching this, what are your thoughts? I had a few. So when they announced that he was going to do the statement, they didn't say press conference, okay? They said a statement. I said, smart, because this story of Robert Hur saying that you are not mentally fit to be um, put in front of a jury... Well, I I was like, wow, that is a death knell for a campaign because he's asking for four more years. I thought, smart, do the statement, Mm -hmm. make sure it's in the headlines tomorrow and in all the news programs. And that's all you would be talking about today. Right. You would at least have his clean, tight statement. They didn't say he's going to have a press conference. Press conference is very different. You have to prepare for that. Like you prepare a day ahead. Think about it. Think it through. Find out what the news is. He decides to take questions from a very frustrated press corps on possibly the biggest <laughs> news story of their careers. Right. And a day when he, ne- uh, when he ne- they say that he answers questions all the time. Forgive me, but that is ridiculous. Yeah. In front of the helicopter, that's not, a, that's not an interview. He had just passed up the Super Bowl interview. He tries to make a joke, making fun of Peter Ducey. That falls flat. But his fatal mistake was the one when he's about to leave. He was mm-hmm. almost He was door. leaving. They shout more questions at him. It's one about Hamas. He wants to answer it. Mm-hmm. He thinks it through. And the fatal mistakes, he goes back to the podium, and that's where he says, I talked to the president of Mexico, Sisi. Mm-hmm. And he meant Egypt. So, And that's what everyone's talking about. So, Dana, right. I, the American people are sympathetic people. We mm-hmm. all have people in our lives that may be struggling with something similar to this. But there's a turn with everything that's happened in the country, their own life, what's going on. Mm-hmm. Do you feel like we're reaching that point where 
Americans go from sad and compassionate to just mad about the situation? I think that there's two things. One, there is a legal aspect of this as well. And they're looking at this. If you support President Trump, and maybe even if you don't, right. and you're a fair-minded person, you would say, it looks like there's two systems of justice here. Right. They right. didn't indict Trump because because he's mentally competent? <laughs> I, don't, I mean, is that why? Okay, so, but then you have this other piece. And I, you know, all of us have people in our lives yep. that we care about. A lot of people, when they get old, imagine, I've never had, my yeah. parents are, thank Thankfully, very healthy. Yeah. No one's taking away their car keys, right? But I think even they would say, I'm not mentally ready to be president. It takes so much out of you. He's asking for another four years. So this is a situation where he was basically uh, declared, I believe, by a doctor to not be mentally competent to face a jury in some of the issues that is plaguing his administration with the things that his son Hunter uh, is being investigated for and the things that he, no doubt, even though he does try to deny it, was also involved in um, or gave Hunter the opportunity to be involved in because of who he was. And yet this man, who people are saying is not competent enough for a jury trial, is supposedly competent enough for another four years as the leader of the free world. This is a huge problem, and I think we're seeing a shift where now even his own party is starting to realize it, and I don't know whether he will be the nominee come November for the Democratic nomination of the president, but it will be interesting to see how things continue to go. But one of the other things I wanted to mention out of this is his continued anger. Last week we had a story where he was at the prayer breakfast in Washington, D.C., and he swears during his speech there. And this um, story, he's swearing at a reporter uh, when he's answering questions, and he's saying, yes, I am competent, and then he proves his incompetence by... Um, messing up his response to an answer about Hamas. Now, if all of us were honest, no matter what side of the aisle we come down on, we would have to say that he has had a lot of mess-ups um, and he's had a lot of times where he's been speaking to people in public and the things that he says make no sense. And in any other job, that would cost him dearly. In any other job, he would be forced to retire. But for whatever reason, being the leader of the free world, nothing is happening. And so I think we need to continue to pray for our country, as I said, that good leaders will rise up in 2024, and we need to pray for him because I don't think things are good with him, and um, it's actually pretty scary when you start to think about the collective body of evidence of the times when he has not really been aware of what is going on around him. And we don't need to go into detail on that, um, but just have that as our consideration and remember that we are called to pray for those in authority. And so I urge you to pray for President Biden and his family 
and again to pray for our country as we experience this next election cycle. Now we go to California where Gavin Newsom gets to witness the uh, egregious things that can happen when you make loose policies on crime in your home state. Are you winning this battle or no? Well, I think that collectively we're winning the battle. I mean, it's never going to be over, but we have seen the results of the arrest because many of those people are multiple offenders. Los Angeles DA George Gascon touting his efforts to get a handle on smash and grab robberies. He's one of several far left prosecutors facing pressure as crime in California forces businesses to pack up and leave. My next guest is running to unseat Gascon prosecutor John Hatami. It's interesting because Gavin Newsom, the governor, told a story the other day that seemed like he was really out of touch of what's going on in his own state. Watch here. As we're checking out, the woman says, oh, he's just walking out. He didn't pay for that. I said, well, why are you stopping him? She goes, Oh, the governor, the governor lowered the threshold. There's no, there's no, there's no accountability. There's no, I said, that's just not true. We're having a conversation. Where's your manager? How are you blaming the governor? And I was like, why am I spending $380? Everyone can walk the hell right out. So why is he blaming the store clerk? Why not blame the criminal? And Prop 47 is an issue there in California. 89% of voters support repealing it. Exactly. You know, we have right now a lawless society here in Los Angeles under George Gascon. Um, clearly, uh, the, the governor is not really paying attention to what's going on in California, especially not in Los Angeles. Um, under George Gascon, we are the retail theft capital of America. Retail theft crime has risen 103 percent. Just ordinary shoplifting is the highest it's been since 2016. And under George Gascon, we prosecute about 50 percent less misdemeanors than we did under Jackie Lacey. Uh, in addition to the fact that Governor Newsom endorsed George Gascon and actually brought him here from Arizona to San Francisco. So I think a lot of these radical prosecutors, such as Pamela Price, Alvin Bra Bragg and George Gascon, are not good for the country. And they're not they're definitely not good for Los Angeles and the businesses here in Los Angeles. John, the L.A. Times editorial board disagrees. They said that the argument that Gascon is lax or lenient on crime simply doesn't hold up to the facts. The various crime surges in the last few years wrongly attributed to, to Gascon occurred nationwide and have largely abated. Prosecure, prosecutorial policies have no short term effect on crime. Are they wrong? They are wrong. So I'm running for district attorney of Los Angeles. I'm not running for district attorney of Florida or Texas. And we have actual real victims here in Los Angeles. People don't realize it's not just big retail uh, stores that are being impacted. It's the immigrant community, the exact community that George Gascon and others claim that they're trying to protect. There are people I know that came here from Jordan, came here from Iran, came here from Mexico, have been here 40 years opened up their business, a mom and pop shop, have paid for their family, have paid for their children's education. And now their shops are closing because insurance companies are not covering them anymore. And that's as a result of George Gascon's policies and directives. So Gavin Newsom is claiming that he did not hamstring these stores from taking action against theft. And yet he spearheaded Prop 47, which lowered certain crimes to misdemeanors that were felonies previously, 
And one of the key aspects of that proposal was the fact that anything under $1,000 of robbery could be considered a, a misdemeanor and did not need to be prosecuted to the fullest extent of the law. This is the California that Gavin Newsom has created, and he was seeing it play out and yet claiming that he had no responsibility. This is the deceptive game that we often are playing in our country, is let's decriminalize certain activities or make them less of a penalty and then make the false claim that crime is going down. Crime does not go down because you lower the penalty of crime. Crime goes down when you make the penalty definitive and you make people pay for crime. That is the reality in which we live. We need societies that are run by the rule of law. God didn't give us the commandments in the word of God to stifle us, to be unreasonable to us. He gave them to us as guardrails to help us live a godly life and to help us live a fulfilling life. He says in John chapter 10, The thief cometh not but for to steal, to kill, and to destroy. I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. You can say that your parents having rules about running in the streets is just unfair of them and it's stifling your creativity and your ability to do whatever you want by running in the street. But if you run in the street and you get run over by a car, then you've experienced an injury or even a death that your parents were trying to help you avoid. And we need to realize as leaders in our country and also in our families and in our churches that the reason we have rules, the reason that we do things decently and in order is to live a fulfilled and abundant life and to have a life that provides safety and care for those around us, for those that we are charged to bring up. God calls fathers to bring up their children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Again, admonition is not always fun, but it creates a person who knows the right way to go. Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. It's very telling to see people wonder about the chaos of life. Remember last week we talked about how In-N-Out Burger decided to leave the Oakland, California neighborhood they were in, and people scratch their heads and they're wondering why would they do that to Oakland? But they cited a lot of safety concerns that were not being addressed by uh, the people that were charged with making rules and enforcing the law in that neighborhood. And so for the safety of everyone involved, they thought it was important to move on. We need to realize that 
when we do not enforce the law, when the rules are lax, we create a bad situation for everyone around. Again, another thing that I've often said is we don't live in a bubble. Everything we do affects those around us. So my hope is that the people of California will realize that they need a leader who will care about them more than an agenda. Because until that happens, California is not going to be a place that people want to be. The final story that I have to share with you today has to do with social media. Now, one thing I want to say at the outset of the story is that social media itself, as is the internet, is a blank canvas. You can use it for good or you can use it for evil. The main ways that I distribute this podcast are through social media. So I would never say that it is bad on its face. But it has created some really horrible situations that we never could have foreseen before it existed. Senator Josh Hawley calling the Meta CEO Mark Zuckerberg to face the families who lost loved ones and apologize to them. And this is why we invested so much and are going to continue doing industry big efforts to, uh, to make sure that no one has to go through the types of things that your families have had to suffer. Our next guest, our next guest was there sitting right behind Mark Zuckerberg. She lost her 14-year-old daughter, Grace, to suicide in 2012 after becoming a victim of sexual exploitation from cyberbullying on Twitter. Christine McComas joins us now. Uh, Christine, God bless you. Thank you for being here. Um, you were right there. Did you, did you think, did you accept the apology from Mark Zuckerberg? What did, what did you think? Well, it wasn't a matter of accepting because I don't think it was, it wasn't organic. It was forced. Um, it wasn't planned or anything like that. And, um, you know, it, it was surreal to be there at all. Um, but really, the story isn't his apology. The story is that kids are at risk. American kids need protection from different ways that social media platforms are operating. And, and uh, the Kids Online Safety Act, um, this was Grace, the Kids mm-hmm. Online Safety Act must pass. It's been 12 years that I've been speaking out on um, what happened to my daughter. Um, And maybe back then we didn't know because it was so new, social media. But today we know, and kids are dying from all kinds of um, social media harms that they didn't even necessarily go looking for, but that were fed to them. And the Kids Online Safety Act would put up guardrails that would protect American children. Christine, can you tell us a little bit about what happened to your daughter? Well... Um, There was a drug-assisted sexual assault, but it was followed by intense um, cyberbullying, which I don't even call it cyberbullying anymore. It is child abuse. Um, And a lot of the things that happen uh, to kids online now, that the negative things, are a sort of child abuse. Now, this, as with so many other issues, is a bit complicated. Because, as I said at the outset of this story, social media in and of itself is a blank canvas and can be used for good 
or for evil. And you can say that entities like Facebook and Twitter have an agenda that is anti-child. I've heard the same about YouTube, that some of the YouTube kids' materials are actually very scary, um, and so you really need to be vigilant and watch your kids on all social media platforms that you give them access to. But ultimately, social media is what we put into it. I remember having this conversation with friends probably 10 or 15 years ago now about information that you put on Facebook and whether there should be an expectation of privacy on Facebook. And in a sense, I understand why people say there would be. If you're going to have a site on Facebook, you want to know that information that you put on there isn't just going to be stolen by anyone who's out there who could use it for nefarious means. I understand that. But one of the conclusions that I also came to was that a good general rule of thumb when dealing with that is you shouldn't put anything on Facebook or another social media site that you don't want to be made public because the very nature of social media is that it's a public presence on the internet. And the other aspect of the internet is its foreverness because sometimes you do something foolish and it ends up in a photo or on a video and then it's just there for the internet to claim. And we've heard many stories about people who have deleted tweets after discovering that it wasn't the best thing to say or do, but then somebody had taken a picture of the tweet before they deleted it and it still makes the rounds. So that's the first thing that I want to say. The second thing that I want to say is that it is primarily parents' responsibility to monitor their kids' access to these things. They need to be vigilant. They need to tell their children about the dangers that are associated with this, and they also need to make sure that they block their access until they feel that they are ready for the responsibility of social media. So it's a many-sided issue. I think it's important to note that if you go back to my blog where all of the links to these audio clips will be, you will find that the lady being interviewed in this story, her daughter did not have a smartphone. She just simply had a flip phone, and apparently people were bullying her on Twitter and other people were telling her about it, and it still affected her to such a degree that she ended up ending her life. Now again, I think there's probably a lot of layers to that, a lot of reasons why, but this is another reason to be super vigilant uh, with our children and to make sure that we have open lines of communication with them because we never know uh what is transpiring unless we have contact with them, unless we have regular conversations. I think that it's about 50-50 from what I understand whether a suicidal person actually acts depressed or suicidal. Sometimes they can be downright happy on the outside, 
And I've heard that in certain senses, it's because they finally made a decision to end their life because it's something they feel like they have control over. So we need to make sure that we are constantly having the difficult conversations with the one that we love. On the issue of online safety, I do believe that it can be better. However, I just want to point out something that I've noticed about online safety already, and that is that I've been to websites where they ask you if you are 13 or older. But all you have to do to verify that you're 13 or older is to check a box saying I'm 13 or older. You don't actually have to physically be 13 or older. And I'm not real sure how you would circumvent that and make it better in the future online. Because there's only so much you can do, which is why it is important for parents to be on their guard. I think there's already a rule in place that says that you have to be 13 to have a Facebook. But many parents even get their young children Facebook uh, when they're much younger than 13, not because they want them to be on it necessarily, but because they want to have a place to distribute photos of the child or whatever the case may be. But that just gives them access to Facebook at a very early age. And it also, I think, because of the nature of the fact that you just have to say that you're 13 and has encouraged certain kids to lie about their age to get on these social media platforms. So I think the lesson to us all is if we are going to use social media, to use it to glorify God. I know that for myself, I've always considered my Facebook page to be somewhat of a ministry. Um, sometimes I share things simply because they are funny. But for the most part, I realize that people looking at my page have the opportunity to be encouraged or discouraged. And my goal is to encourage them in their faith and to encourage them, if possible, to seek Jesus for the very first time. Well, that's what I have to share with you today in the world of news and current events. I hope that you are encouraged to think about these issues from a biblical perspective and that you can be an encouragement to others around the water cooler, so to speak. And I hope above all that you have a great week and that you keep serving the best of masters. Thank you for listening to today's episode. Your host has been Andrew Gomison, founder of Speaking for Him. For more information on today's show and to leave us comments and voicemails, visit speakingforhim.blogspot.com. You can find Andrew's ministry at speakingforhim.com. That's speaking, the number four, H-I-M. You can also interact with us at facebook.com slash speakingforhim and on Twitter at speakingforhim. And when you look for us on iTunes and Stitcher, let us know what you think of the podcast by leaving a rating and review. 